This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right. How have you guys been this week? Wow, that's phenomenal. I always hate asking because I always, I feel like I'm going to get depressed every time I ask you how you're doing. Oh, all right. School sucks. It's really bad. Okay, so honesty time. How many of you guys in here have been having a conversation with somebody, whether it's one-on-one or you're standing in front of somebody speaking, and all of a sudden you find yourself talking a little too fast, and you say some words that you didn't mean to say, and like you're just sitting there thinking, like, why on earth did I say that? Yeah? Like three of us? Awesome. Apparently, apparently we're the only ones that look dumb. See, my dad was born and raised here in Nebraska, Nebraska born and raised, and uh, when you're having a conversation with him, it takes about three hours to have a decent conversation with him, and the reason is, is because while you're talking, it takes him about three hours to get a point across. That's the good old-fashioned Nebraska talking. My mom, on the other hand, is from California, and conversations with her last three hours also. But it's because she's talking so fast that it takes about three hours for you to finally catch her kid taking a breath. And so you can interrupt her just long enough to say that you need to go somewhere. And so my, I take a lot from my mom in that I talk a lot, but I do take breaks every once in a while. My wife will tell you she doesn't get to talk. I just talk and talk and talk. It's good because apparently that's what is required to be a pastor. If you've ever met a good pastor, they usually don't ever shut up. But I, I inherited my mom's conversation skills, and uh, I've caught myself saying words, and, and you just you slip up and you say something totally different than what you were trying to say. Like, I don't know, it was like a couple weeks ago, I, was, I kept accidentally saying Chi Alpha instead of social media. Like, why on earth, like, my brain knows exactly what I'm thinking I'm trying to say. I'm talking about social media and how I like it or I hate it, depending on the day. But for some reason, my mouth decides it wants to say Chi Alpha instead. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And you're sitting there, and you take a second, and you think about it, and you're like, why on earth would I accidentally say Chi Alpha instead of social media? Like, they're not even in the same spectrum of words. Like, they don't even sound the same. And so you take a sec- second and you step back and you're like, why on earth would I say Chi Alpha instead of social media? Like, how many of you guys remember, and maybe you guys are all saints in here, but how many of you guys remember the first time you accidentally swore in front of your parents? Any of you guys remember that? Good. We have sinners in here. Yes. You're my people. I'm just kidding. But I can remember the first time I cussed in front of my mom, and I just remember, like, I'm not going to say it, obviously, but, like, she just stops, and she's like, what did you just say? And I'm sitting there, and I was trying to say Kentucky Fried Chicken, only the F word was the wrong F word. <laughs> and I just, I just went, what? I didn't say that. Like, I was probably, like, six years old. I don't know how old I was, but I was young. And I just remember going, uh... Like, when you get home and then you have the awesome mom that, that you get soap in your mouth, well, I used to cuss so much that I got started getting Dawn dish soap poured into my mouth, and I was a sinner. But, like, what the point is, 
what makes us do that? Like, what on earth is the reason for why we slip up and say those things? And I could get into a whole conversation about from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, but that's not the direction we're going today. But um, the, the psychology world calls them Freudian slips. And so it, it makes you wonder why you say the things you say. But the first time you cussed in front of your mom, you realized the things you say are pretty important because they're going to get your butt whooped if you say the wrong thing. And some of you guys know the song Oceans. We sang it tonight. I actually wrote this before um, I was told the set list. So I picked this song and Ruben picked the song Oceans. I'm going to talk about it for a second. So it's kind of cool. It's one of those weird God lineup moments. But anyway, during the song Oceans, there's, there's a lyric that goes, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Have you ever stopped and, and took a second and thought about what that song lyric really implies? Like we sing it as worship, and we're singing worship, and we, we try to mean what we say when we worship. Like, as we're worshiping God, we should be reading the lyrics, and we should be making that our heart. Because if you're not making it your heart, why are you singing? And so as you're singing Oceans and you sing that lyric, and I'll, I'll read it again. Spirit, lead me, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Like, what does that really imply? As we're singing that, and we're singing that to God, we're saying that to God. Like, what is really behind that lyric? So the power of words. So what you're saying is, Lord, I will go wherever you call me. And we're singing that lyric to God. And we're, it's, it's an act of worship, and we're singing that lyric. But ask yourself, for just a split second, are you really meaning what you're singing when you sing that? You know, are we really to go wherever God calls us to? I mean, if you think about it, the lyric's just kind of great because it says, let me walk upon the waters. And when you think of walking upon the waters, what do you think of? You think of Peter getting out of the boat, getting ready to, to hop out of the water, and he starts walking towards Jesus. And then as he's walking, he looks down and he slips. You think of Peter walking on the water. But the problem is, for most of us, we're not even Peter in this situation. In reality, when it comes to our, our walks with Christ, we're the rest of the disciples still sitting in the boat. We're nice and comfortable. We haven't even gotten out of the boat. And so when we sing that... Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Are we really meaning it? Are we really trying to make that our heart in this moment as we're singing that? Do we really mean that lyric? Because what would it look like if all the Christians who claim they're Christians in America truly believed that? Truly made that their heart. Wherever you would call me. I'll do whatever you call me to do. What would that look like if Christians all across this country, let alone across the world, truly made that their heart? What would it look like for us? See, because as your preacher, as, as your pastor here, I'll be honest with you guys, the world doesn't need more sermons. The world doesn't need more sermons. There's sermons all over the place. There's podcasts, there's YouTube, there's churches all over the place. The world doesn't need more sermons the world needs more people who are being led by the Spirit wherever it calls us. 
And I get up here and I, and I preach, and I'm not ta- taken away from sermons. They are good. They do serve a purpose. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing in front of you speaking because that's a waste of my time if it doesn't serve a purpose. But it's designed to edify you guys, to build you guys up almost as like a, a, a pop in a fresh set of batteries so that when you guys leave here, you can continue sharing the gospel. You can continue doing what God is calling to you to do outside of church. And it's set up in a way that you come back in here, we try to get you something maybe you haven't thought about, and you go out upon your week and you, and you continue to serve Christ wherever he calls you. Because if you think about it, in Scripture when Jesus says, follow me, he meant it literally. He didn't walk up to the... To the fishermen and say follow me and then when they're like all right what does that mean he's like oh just keep fishing just you know pray every once in a while you're good now when Jesus said follow me he meant follow me he really meant what he said and so that the power of words tonight is that's kind of the focus is the power of the words the power of the word I mean when we think about that lyric wherever you would call me because when, when Jesus said, follow me, to people that weren't even the disciples, they didn't have time to go bury their dead. They didn't have time to go get their houses in order first. They literally had to drop what they were doing and follow him. There's a story in, in scripture about a rich man who when he's asking Jesus, what does it take to follow you? What, is it, what does it take? And Jesus says, you need to sell all your riches and give them to the poor. And the rich man became very sad. The reason why he was sad was because he realized that Jesus really meant sell all of your belongings and give it to the poor. It wasn't just a feel-good statement, you know, oh, you sell all your things and and give it to the poor, and then that really meant sell 10% of your things and give it to the poor. Jesus was saying, sell all of your things. And then Jesus then continues to tell us that it is nearly impossible for rich people to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then in America, in Christianity in America, we are obsessed with getting rich. As Christians, we're obsessed, even as Christians in America, American Christianity is still obsessed with getting rich. And Jesus is telling us that it's nearly impossible for the rich man to get into heaven. And so if we're obsessed with getting rich, are we living contrary to exactly what Jesus is telling us literally in Scripture? Because he was literally saying that it is nearly impossible for the rich man to get into heaven. Because we chase after, first and foremost, wealth and power, and then Jesus in America. And I'm talking all across the board. I'm not talking about you individually. But across the board, in American Christianity, we typically seek after wealth, power, and then God. And it doesn't work that way. That's not the way the, the gospel was written. That's not what Jesus was saying. But... At the same time, as Jesus is telling us it's so impossible for rich men to get into heaven, the very next next chapter, Jesus goes into the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes along. He was a rich man. He had gotten rich from basically taking money from all of the people. He's a very wealthy man. Jesus tells him what he's got to do in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Zacchaeus does it. And so the difference between the story we're reading about Zacchaeus and then the story of the rich man are two polar opposites. 
In the story of Zacchaeus, it's happy, it's exciting, it's exhilarating. This man's going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Man, this is so cool. And then the rich man isn't. What is the difference? The difference is because Zacchaeus made things right. He did what Jesus was asking him to do. He gave over abundantly back to the people. He was no longer going to be obsessed with wealth. He was obsessed with doing what Jesus told him to do. The words Jesus said, he took literally, and he did them. And so we have a totally different tale of of someone inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And it simply was the application of what Jesus said to them. Because Jesus said the same thing, not word for word, but Jesus over and abundantly pretty much said the exact same thing to the rich man as he did to Zacchaeus. The difference was the application of it to his life. See, and in here, when sermons are hard and, I, and they're, they're heavy and they're hard to take, it's not my goal to make you guys like hate your life because you're not doing things right as a Christian. That's not the whole point of coming in here. I'm not trying to rag on you guys and tell you guys you're doing everything wrong and then have you leave with your heads bowed and, and, and you know, in conviction and, and just shame. That's not the point. What I'm trying to do is challenge you guys. So what I want you guys to do is when you come in here, understand that I'm just trying to challenge you. I'm going to tell you things that are hard to hear. I'm going to tell you things that are hard-hitting. They're going to be heavy because we're not living that way. I mean, all across this board, I, the, I don't know, I, mean, I guess I don't know everybody in here, but I highly doubt that anybody in here has given away all of their wealth to the poor already in their lives. I know I haven't. And so it can be hard-hitting and it's heavy. But the point is, I want to challenge you guys. I'm trying to give you guys more tools in your walk with Christ so that you can get closer to Christ. And so tonight we're talking specifically about discipleship. As I, as I led into that and we come to the conclusion that the importance of words and the importance of taking what Jesus said to heart and taking them and applying them literally to our lives, that we, we have to stop and we have to think, are, are we doing this the way Jesus intended it? Are we actually doing these words that Jesus said that are written in a book that are, are definitively what Jesus commanded us to do, are we doing it? And so talking about discipleship, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you guys in here tonight, for the vast majority of you guys that are Christians and you grew up in church or you've at least attended church, I'm probably not going to tell you anything new and innovative that you haven't heard before. But hopefully along with it, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. And then for you guys that are new Christians and have only been a Christian for a little while, what I'm saying might be brand new territory to you. Might be something that you haven't really thought of before. But in Matthew 4.18, Jesus calls his first disciples, and it says this. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I already talked about the importance of the follow me. Jesus literally meant, follow me. And so if he literally meant, follow me, then he literally meant, I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. So what does that mean? I will make you into fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. That implies literally that Jesus made them into fishers of men. Because as you read in Scripture, this is the beginning of Jesus calling his disciples And then over the the next part of the Gospels, it talks about the next three years of Jesus teaching them 
everything that they need to be equipped to go out and be fishers of men. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. See, and, and to, to give a little bit of background information, I just, I just said, uh, shared a, a small little piece of scripture that was the beginning of the disciples' walk. Now, this is towards, towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth. This is actually after Jesus had died. So now, now think about it this way. Jesus died. They saw him die. They saw him crucified. They saw him pierced. They saw this process go down. They know Jesus was dead. Jesus comes back to life. And this is one of the things that Jesus has to say to them. I can tell you they were listening. I mean, think about it. If you just saw me straight up murdered right here, I'm dead. And three days from now, I come back to life. How much more are you going to listen to that next sermon? Does that make sense? Jesus had died and risen again. And so I I guarantee these people were taken to heart. These disciples were taken to heart what Jesus had to say. They knew this was important. They, They knew some stuff was going on that they weren't really sure about how it happened. They'd never really seen that before. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. From the beginning of the journey with the disciples, clear until the end, Jesus was preparing them for this. In Matthew, this is the very last thing before it transitions over to Mark. This is the last thing that Matthew leaves us with. And so even the author, Matthew, even the author of it is is trying to show you how important discipleship is. He's leaving it as the last thing that's on your mind as you finish reading Matthew. From the very beginning, Jesus says, come and follow me, I'll make you into fishers of men. And then at the very end, Jesus is saying, you are fishers of men. Go out and make disciples. How important is it? How important are those words that he's saying? All authority has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples. So like, think about it this way. When you have a teacher, and the teacher says, Write this down, it's going to be on a test. What do you do? You write it down. But not only do you write it down, you write it down in like ginormous font in block English, and it takes up like half a page. You circle it, highlight it, and put a star next to it because he's saying it's going to be on the test. Especially if you have one of those teachers that doesn't really tell you what's going to be on the test usually, and he says it's going to be on the test. It's important. Jesus is leaving the disciples with this. This is like that statement. Jesus is saying, Do this. This is important. I'm leaving you with this. This is one of the most important things I'm going to say to you. Because all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. But the problem with this is, we read it, and we either just kind of pass by it, or we read it and we we don't really understand it. 
What does it what does it take to go out and make disciples? What does that even mean? What what is it what does that entail? Does that mean I just go to church and maybe go to a small group every once in a while? See, and the thing about this is the imperative is on the go or on making disciples, not on the go. So it could also be read as, as you go, make disciples. And so I'm not even necessarily telling that you that in order to serve Jesus, you need to go to Africa and make disciples. It's not saying go out from here right now as you are a Christian. Go from here, go to Africa, go to some lost group and, and make disciples. It's saying as you're going, even as you're here, even as you're in this place right now, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. And I know that this can be easier said than done. I know that me just saying go and make disciples doesn't mean that you're going to jump up and know exactly everything you need to do in order to make a disciple. But one of the things that I talked about was even the disciples who were discipled by the main disciple, the one we should all be seeking to be discipled by. Even the people who were discipled by Jesus, it took them three years to get to a point where Jesus was like, okay, go make disciples. But that also doesn't give us the, the pass on going and making disciples because we're not ready to make disciples. And I'll tell you why here in just a second, but one of the most difficult things about making disciples is that a lot of times we, we feel like we're just not ready to make disciples. Or we feel like we're not really ready for somebody to see the sensitive, bad part of our lives. Because in order to make a good disciple, you're going to have to be vulnerable with them. You're going to have to show them some of your insecurities. You're going to have to show them some of the bad sides of Christianity. You're not going to just going to be able to talk about all the perfect, you know, uh, uh, sunshine and daisies parts of Christianity. You're going to have to talk about the dirty stuff. You're going to have to talk about the struggles. You're going to have to talk about the sin. You're going to have to talk about, you know, what happens when someone is stuck. I mean, you have to talk about the negative stuff, and a lot of times we're just not ready for somebody to see that part of our lives. But in here, I'm, I'm going to tell you that if you don't feel like you're ready to make disciples, if you truly 100% with all of your heart, straight up, as I'm telling you, go make disciples, you're replying to me, I'm not ready to make disciples, you better make sure that you are doing everything in your power to take advantage of what Chi Alpha is offering you in order to get to a point where you can make disciples. Chi Alpha is set up in a way to make disciples. We're set up in a way in which I disciple the small group leaders, the small group leaders disciple people in their small groups. And so if you feel like right now you're saying, I'm not ready to make disciples, you better be taking advantage of some of the things we have to offer for you guys. There really isn't a good excuse because we have it set up in a way that helps you out. Chi Alpha's motto, our motto in here, is make disciples who make disciples. Our entire existence is, in, is geared towards making disciples. If I'm not making disciples, I'm not doing my job as a pastor. If the small group leaders aren't making disciples, they're not doing their job as a small group leader. And then one more imperative. One more key thing to what Jesus is saying here is the very last, one of the very last things he says is, 
Jesus said, and behold, I am with you. I doubt the disciples really felt like they were ready to make disciples. And they weren't even ready for Jesus to leave. They weren't even ready to deal with the fact that he was dying. But Jesus is saying, and behold, I will be with you. And he's saying this in respect to making disciples. And so he's saying, as you go, therefore, go and make disciples. And I will be with you in the process of making disciples. I don't know what to say. Jesus is with you. And Google is with you. <laughs> 